Let's open our Bibles to Daniel chapter 6, if you will. Daniel chapter 6, as we continue looking at the book of Daniel here on Sunday mornings in a series entitled, A Stranger in a Strange Land. And let's begin in verse 1. Now it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. And over these three governors, of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give an account to them, so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm." So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So the governors and the satraps thronged before the king and said thus to him, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of the kingdom and administrators and satraps and counselors and advisors, having consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for thirty days except you, O king, shall be cast in the den of lions." And now, O king, establish the decree and sign it, the writing, so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. And therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. Growing up, I did not grow up in a church-going family. My parents were a non-practicing Catholic and a non-practicing Lutheran. So they were both non-practicing at both Protestantism and Catholicism. But we had a wonderful family just two doors down from us who were beautiful Christians, sweet Christians. And my mom and dad decided that, you know, even though they were non-practicing at the time, that my sister and I should have some God in our life. I think basically they just wanted the house to themselves on a Sunday morning. They shipped us off with the uh, neighbors down the street so they could have a quiet breakfast at home. We, I went to this little church, a little Wesleyan church in Elk Grove. And the very first time I went, I sat in a Sunday school room, not knowing what to expect, not really attending church ever in my life. And the very first story I ever heard out of the Bible was Daniel chapter 6. And the Sunday school teacher was a wonderful Christian lady. And she was telling us about the incredible miracle of the angel shutting the lion's mouth and keeping Daniel safe throughout the night. I'll never forget that. And I thank the Lord for that wonderful Christian lady. She played a big role, I think, in me getting saved later on in my life. But as time has gone on, I've realized that there's more to Daniel in chapter 6 than just simply the account of the miracle of the angel shutting the lion's mouth. What really struck me this week was noticing that Daniel was prepared for this moment. 
Daniel is in his 80s now, and he's been in Babylon since he was 15. Most of his life, he was away from Israel, he was away from Jerusalem, he was away from his home, his parents, etc. He was in a pagan city, a pagan land, a pagan culture, a culture saturated with a plurality of gods. And yet Daniel remained faithful to the one true God. And in his 80s, he now has already prepared himself for the trials, troubles, and tribulations that he is about to experience. You and I need to be prepared for what comes next. We don't know what the future offers. I'm always optimistic because I have Jesus. But we still need to prepare our hearts and our minds. And I believe Daniel is a perfect example in how we do that. And as we discover this morning that Daniel once again was placed in a favor by God to serve Darius as he served Belshazzar, as he served Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel once again now is placed in this position of prominence there in Babylon. Under the guides and the rule and the reign of the Medes and Persians, he's already seen the Babylonians succeeded and overthrown. And in his 80s, once again, God has placed him in this position of favor. And knowing that Daniel was in a position to possibly oversee the whole entire city and empire, the others around him grew jealous and envious and coveted the position in which Daniel was about to be given. It was very common for a new king to place authorities underneath him that, of course, were loyal to him. 124, starting with him, and then, of course, Darius I, and then, of course, underneath him was three. One of those three were Daniel, and then under those was a hundred more. And Daniel was now about to be thrust in the position of true authority over it all. And yet, the others weren't going to allow that to happen. And yet, Daniel's character and his reputation preceded him. He was a man of integrity. Notice that the description of him here in our text in the first nine verses, he was without fault. He was without error. He was faithful to his God. And they realized that the only way that he could ever be removed from that position, that he could be discredited before the eyes of the people, was if he were to sin or offend his own God. But Daniel was prepared for such a moment. Because over the years, Daniel cultivated a deep, intimate relationship with his God through prayer and study of his word. For Daniel was a student of the book of Jeremiah. And as we get to chapter 9, we will discover that Daniel realized that the time in Babylonian captivity was going to be limited to 70 years. Being a student of the Word of God, being a man of prayer, Daniel prepared himself for the trials, troubles, and tribulations that he would face in the wake of his faithfulness to his God. Remember what Warren Worsby once said. He says, it's not a matter of if we will experience trials as Christians, it's only a matter of when we will experience trials as Christians. 
And as a result, we must be prepared. So how did Daniel prepare himself? Well, the psalmist writes, and it should be on the screen behind you, in Psalm 55, 17. Evening and morning and noon I will pray, I will cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. Warren Worsby wrote, Prayer was not an incidental thing in Daniel's life. It was the most essential thing in Daniel's life. He was ready to go. He was prepared. And now we see, as we begin in the first nine verses, the plot against him. As the others now prepared the king to write an edict, a decree that stated that for 30 days, no man, woman, or child could petition any other god except he himself, Darius himself. It was undoubtedly flattering to Darius to receive such attention. But of course, this was orchestrated. It was planned, it was architected in the manner to bring fault and guilt to Daniel, knowing that Daniel could not do such a thing. As earlier in Daniel, we saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refusing to bow to the statue that Nebuchadnezzar had created and being thrown into the fiery furnace. Now Daniel is given that exact same ultimatum. And once again, we see the faithfulness of Daniel. Now again, Daniel didn't approach this as a moment in crisis. He saw this as a moment that he was already uh, prepared to experience. And so when Daniel learned of their design and their deception, as the king had signed this decree, which could not be changed, Darius being viewed as a god could not change the decree that the Medes and the Persians put forward. We see this in Esther also. That such decrees could not be reversed once they were written and signed. And the king now bound by his word, by his own uh, personal signet, was now in a position where he must enforce that that he has put in place. And so that brings us to verse 10. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with the windows open towards Jerusalem, he knelt on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was, notice this, his custom since early days. This was the manner in which Daniel responded to the problem. He took it to God in prayer. Now again, this isn't something that he just did for the very first time. This was something that he did from the very beginning. He had already become accustomed to such reactions to such situations. And as a result, it was the natural thing for him to do. I believe that one of the most famous verses on prayer in the New Testament may be rooted in the prayer lives of the individuals in the Old Testament, such as Daniel here in our text. When Paul Paul wrote in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, he says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. 
As Warren Worsby wrote in his commentary, he said this, This was not a crisis prayer meeting. Daniel was used to praying and had been since he was a teenager. From the very beginning, this is the manner in which Daniel decided to confront trial, tribulation, trial, trouble, and tribulation. Today, many Christians struggle in their devotional lives. I have spoken to many over the years who I don't, full, I don't feel fully grasp the purpose of devotional life. A devotional life is a time in which each and every day we dedicate and set aside for spending with God. That time should encompass, or it should include, I should say, prayer and the reading of His Word. The problem many Christians face today is that they think that the Word of God will always work like a piece of, uh, or a, a pill of medicine that they just take and makes everything all better. But God's Word doesn't promise to work that way. Now, there will be times that we go to God's Word and He will directly address what we are experiencing and facing and give us direction that we need for that moment. But most of the time, I have discovered that I often, in my prayer and devotional, will take time to pray and read God's Word and it not immediately speak to my situation, but it will prepare me for a situation that is yet to come. It'll give me insight and wisdom. And then when I do enter in to that uh, circumstance or situation, I'm already prepared to face it. It prepares us for those moments. And that's what Daniel did. Today, many in our country struggle with cultivating deep and intimate relationships. You're not going to be able to cultivate those relationships through social media. Have we finally put that question to rest? In fact, I've met so many people who have three, four hundred friends on Facebook. I have five, and two of them were my, my sister and my aunt. But many feel that if they just have more and more and more and more and more followers or friends, etc., that they are cultivating deep and intimate relationships with these people. A study was released three or four years ago that stated that the average person who, for every hundred friends that they have on Facebook, there is only one that they could call in a moment of need. It doesn't equate personal intimate relationships. When I come before the Lord each and every day, I am hoping to deepen my relationship with Him. I'm hoping to grow more intimately close to Him, knowing His heart, knowing His mind through His Word, and allowing Him to prepare me for those things that He knows are coming and are yet unknown to me. Devotions are so important because it keeps our eyes on God. And therefore, when trial, trouble, and tribulation come as it had for Daniel, he resorted to what he had already been doing time and time and time again as one wrote he said the god had demonstrated his faithfulness to daniel over and over and over and over again throughout his life so now in his 80s why should he ever doubt god's faithfulness in this moment but daniel now had a choice to make was he going to look to god 
Or was he going to compromise with the world? One great British theologian once said that in our times of trouble, are we going to turn to Jerusalem or are we going to turn to Babylon? Are we going to turn to God or are we going to turn to the world? A question that only you can answer for yourself. One wrote in his commentary, I'd like to read it for you if I may. Most of the world begins the day looking towards the world and hoping to get something from it. But the Christian believer looks to the Lord and His promises and enters each new day by faith. Outlook determines outcome. And when we look to the Lord for His guidance and help each day, we know that that outcome is in His hands and we have nothing to fear. As D.L. Moody once said, he said, Real, true faith is man's weakness leaning on God's strength. (coughs) Excuse me. So now we pick it up again. And we pick it up in verse 11. Excuse me. Then these men assembled (coughs) and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God, meaning he was raising his needs and his requests to God. And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Uh, Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within thirty days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? And the king answered and said, The thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. So they answered and said before the king that Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you. O king, or for the decree that you have signed and made, and makes his petitions three times a day. And the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. The king was in a dilemma. He now realized what he had done. And as God had given Daniel favor in the king's eyes, the king realized that he had put Daniel in this position unnecessarily. And he purposely looked for a way out. His heart was distressed and grieved over it. And he realized that something needed to be done. But his hands were tied. Notice that the words displeased was used to describe the heart and the mind of the king. It means that he was distressed inside, he was troubled inside, and he was torn up about it. And he set his heart on Daniel. There was already this affection and this care for Daniel. The pure grace of God giving Daniel, a Jewish man, this kind of prominence in a Gentile world is extraordinary. But the king knew that he was bound to his word. And so, as we continue in verse 15, Then these men approached the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no decree or statute which the king established may be changed. So the king gave the command, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the lion's den. But the king spoke to Daniel, 
your God, in whom you serve continually, He will deliver you. And then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet of the Lord's, that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. It's as interesting the impact of Daniel's witness upon the king. The king himself had a confidence, somewhat like the centurion who came to Jesus, a faith, if you will, that God is able to do extraordinary things. It's often sad when the world displays a greater depth of faith than Christians do. A trust in God. The reason so many people, again, are struggling with trust in God is because they personally have not cultivated that depth of relationship with God to trust His promises, to recognize His faithfulness, to understand His steadfast love towards them. One of the great advantages of walking with the Lord for decades is that you can look back over that time and see God's faithfulness time and time and time again. My wife loves to journal. She loves to write things down. And since the time we got married, 20, well, it will be 28 years next year that we got married, Dina has been writing her prayers, writing the answers and in journals. And guess what we have a lot of in our house? Journals. And sometimes when we're discouraged, or sometimes when we just need to be reminded of God's faithfulness, she'll read some of those journals out loud. And it helps just to remember God's faithfulness to His promises over and over and over again. I think of those words that the centurion said to Jesus, it's no need for you to come to my house, Jesus. You just give the word and I know that my servant will be healed. And sure enough, his servant was healed. It is interesting to me that often, because of our lack of devotional life, before God, so many aspects of our Christian life seem to be distressed rather than strengthened. One thing that I hear often that often really troubles my heart is when people tell me, I tried Christianity and it just didn't work for me. Well, it already indicates to me that you approach Christianity in the complete opposite manner in which you should have. Jesus said, I have not come to be served, but to serve. Now, it's interesting that often I have, I have actually met someone who interpreted that, that Jesus was saying that he did not come to be served, but to serve me. Oh, well, I, I, I hate to let you know this, but he's setting a standard for all of us. We don't come to Christianity simply looking to be served, but to serve. God is not our cosmic butler that we just ring our bell and God comes running. One of the primary verses that many Christians cannot seem to get past is when Jesus said that if you truly desire to follow me, then deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow after me. Paul said it this way, that we must lay ourselves down as living sacrifices before him. And if that was contained in a prayer, it would be, not my will, but your will be done, Lord. 
in and through my life. That's the relationship that Daniel had. And even even though others conspired to bring him down, and they acted as Balaam acted earlier, when Balaam was confronted by the enemies of Israel and saying, how can we defeat Israel? And Balaam the prophet said, the only way you can do that is if they uh, offend their God and God himself brings judgment against them. And that's exactly what these men did. They put Daniel in a position that he must then choose to follow God or to compromise with man. But the faith that the king had, and though he stated that God would deliver him, I don't think that he was truly sure if he would based on what happens next. And then the stone was brought, verse 17, laid on the mouth of the den, and of course sealed with the signets of both the lords and the kings, so the charge against Daniel might not be changed. Now verse 18, now the king went into his place, palace and spent the night fasting. Notice that. In that culture, one of the ways to help the king sleep is that he would have a heavy meal before he would go to bed. Uh, it's like when you have Thanksgiving turkey and you, all of a sudden you just feel so sleepy afterwards. This time he couldn't do that. And notice what it says. Not only did he fast and no musicians were brought in before him to play a lullaby for the king, I guess. Also, he slept, the, his sleep went from him. He had insomnia. He was worried. He was concerned. He was anxious about what was going to happen next because he didn't want to put Daniel in such a position. When Paul instructs us to be anxious for nothing, that word anxious means do not tear yourself up inside over anything. It's a command. It's a, it's a command that he gives us, which does indicate to me that much of the anxiousness that we, can ex- we experience as a person can be avoided if we choose to avoid it. There are some anxiousness that are created physiologically, a chemical imbalance in the brain, a panic attack. But most of the anxiety that we experience are driven by circumstances. When we are overwhelmed by those circumstances, when we sum up and place a context around those circumstances based upon our own personal limitations and ability, it's then that we grow incredibly anxious. But Paul says, be not anxious. Again, a command. Let us not sum up the circumstances based upon our limitations, but let's sum up the circumstances based upon God's ultimate unlimitations he's capable of doing anything and so the king was anxious and notice that he was so anxious that in verse 19 then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions and when he came to the den he cried out with a lamenting voice to daniel The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, the servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lion's den? Again, a question of God's ability. What is God capable of doing? I have noticed that when I become anxious, it's often when I leave God out of the equation. When God is brought into the equation, the 
circumstances and what I am uh, viewing and what I am entering into change completely because I know God is capable of doing anything. And verse 21, Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent His angel and shut the lion's mouths so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him and also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God could have simply kept the lions at bay from his throne in heaven, but here again sends an angel to accompany Daniel and to be with Daniel and to shut the lion's mouth. One of the most vulnerable experiences that we can have going through trials and tribulations and troubles is when we feel that we are alone in doing so. When we feel that we are alone in doing so. But throughout the Bible, God has often encouraged His people simply by His presence. And here, an angel, undoubtedly, and it is taken by Jewish individuals and Christians that the angel was with Daniel throughout the night. Daniel there waiting for God to see if God would deliver him was accompanied by an angel to remind Daniel that at that moment he was not alone. Satan often wants to deceive us by believing that when we go through difficult times, we are alone in doing so. Many today have this great fear of being alone in life. But with God, we are not alone. When Jesus was about to ascend back to the Father in John's Gospel, He said to His disciples that He was sending the Holy Spirit to us so that we would not be orphans, that we would not be without a Father, that we would not be without someone with us, and that the Spirit would be with us always. Later on in the book of Hebrews, we're reminded that the Lord is with us always, that He'll never leave us nor forsake us. As a Christian, we never walk alone through this world. God is with us. But God has given us not only the Holy Spirit and His Word promise that He is with us, but He's given us something else. He's given us the body of Christ that we can come alongside one another in our times of difficulty just simply to remind us that we are not alone in doing so. That we are not going through this moment alone but that somebody is with us, praying for us, encouraging us, just sitting with us. Often as a pastor, when I am brought into situations of tragic nature, I find that one of the best things that I can do for that person is to just sit and be with them. Early on, I used to think that I was required to give them some bit of wisdom or knowledge and so forth, you know, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Yeah, don't use that, by the way, okay? It's not helpful. 
But what I did find out that one of the most assuring things that I can do for somebody is just to be there with them. Just to sit with them. To remind them that they are not alone in and through this time. God is with us during these times. The angel was with Daniel. The angel of the Lord Jesus himself was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And you will find various places throughout the Bible that that continues. And so in verse 23, now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him because he believed in his God. What is meant by that? Is it simply indicating that Daniel had faith in his God to deliver him from the lions? Or, as some suggest, and I have a tendency to lean this way, that Daniel's belief in God led him not to compromise, but to choose what was right at that moment, even to the point of suffering the consequences of his actions. He believed God enough to say, that I will not hide my faith, I will not compromise with this world, I will do what is right in the sight of my God because He's always been faithful to me. And whatever the consequences may be, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said to Nebuchadnezzar, we know that God is perfectly capable of saving us from this fire, but if not... Still, we will not bow to the statue in which you have created. Daniel believed God, and it's that belief that we should strive for. Now, we know that here Daniel was rescued, but throughout history, many who have served God faithfully, God has taken home. I think of Stephen in the New Testament, after giving the incredible account before the religious leaders there in the book of Acts. It resulted in his stoning and his death. And we are told that Jesus stood at the right hand of God waiting for Stephen's arrival. So I believe that the belief that Daniel had was the belief that led him to do what is right at that moment rather than compromising with the world. One wrote... Dr. Wiersbe wrote in his commentary, he said, and it should be on the screen behind me, he had learned long ago, this is Daniel, to trust the living God. God did not want to save Daniel from the lion's den. He wanted to deliver him out of it. Now this is an important point. Often when we see trials coming, our first prayer is to say, Lord, deliver, keep us from it altogether. I don't even want to go there. And that's understandable. I get it. But God knew that if he didn't allow Daniel to go through the lion's den, what would happen next wouldn't have occurred. It's not that he wanted to save Daniel from the lion's den. He wanted to deliver Daniel out of the lion's den for a greater degree of glory unto himself. And as we'll discover in Proverbs 11.8, in just a moment, the righteous is delivered from trouble and it comes to the wicked instead. I liked what Ernest Wadsworth said, the champion of effective prayer, when he wrote in his book, 
Prayer, pray for a faith that will not shrink when washed in the waters of affliction. Or as one wrote, he said, God's servants are immortal until their work is done. God wasn't done with Daniel yet. God had more for Daniel to do. And as a result, God delivered him out of the lion's den rather than saving him from the experience altogether. So please remember that. That if you pray as you see a trial coming or you find yourself in the midst of one and you simply want God to remove it, remember that God may want to take you through it for His glory. It is interesting how often in our moments of weakness, God uses us the most. In my experience in the last couple of weeks with COVID, when I went to the hospital for antibody treatment, I had very mild symptoms and I was very thankful for it. But while I was there, I got to talk to so many people. Because in my chart there at the hospital, it said that I was a pastor. And guess what? As soon as they find out you're a pastor, guess what they want to talk about all of a sudden? The bears. No, God. God. And I got to talk to the doctors and to the nurses. I got to listen to them. I asked them if there's anything that I could pray for them for. And God opened a door that I wouldn't have had otherwise. As I waited in the waiting room, I prayed for the various people that I saw there in the waiting room. I said, God, use me here. I wish I could have been spared all of this, but okay, Lord, use me now for this purpose. And sometimes God will take us through it because he'll receive a greater degree of glory and we'll see him work in such a unique way that only strengthens our Christian faith. One of my heroes in the Christian faith is a, a woman named Corey Tenboom. She, of course, went through the Holocaust. And in a concentration camp, she saw it as an opportunity as a Christian to share with as many women as possible, people as possible, before, of course, they went on to their execution, hoping that they would find Jesus in doing so. And I'll never forget reading her, her book as a young man, because she prayed and God answered in such a unique way that I don't think I would have seen that as answered prayer as she did. For example, she wanted an opportunity to disciple the women in whom she had led to Christ. But the guards were always around. The Nazis were always around prohibiting her for doing so. And then, all of a sudden, in one of the barracks... There was such an infestation of lice that the guards wouldn't even go in. And now she went in there amongst the lice and they had privacy to do their Bible study and she was thanking God for it. So she could disciple these women. At another moment in time, as she found herself you know, growing weaker in the sense of her physical health was failing her, but her spiritual house was being drained. I can only imagine being in that circumstance. She just wanted alone time with God. But again, 
It was very hard to find it. Always, there was always somebody who, who wanted her attention. Prayer, who was afraid that she sat with, put her arm around to comfort. But finally, one day she was selected by one of the guards there in the concentration camp to go and to sweep out the back of the latrine because the waste from the latrine would then flow and they would have to rake it down the hill to make sure that it didn't back up. And guess what? Nobody else wanted that job. And when you were doing that job, nobody was around you. And she said, Lord, thank you for this private time between me and you. I don't know if I could have seen things as she saw those things. That is truly a mark of maturity if I've ever seen one. So when God leads you into the trial, know this. God will lead you through the trial. And one way or another, God will lead you out of that trial for His purposes and His glory. And in verse 24, we see what that glory was. And the king gave the command and they brought those men who had accused Daniel and they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, their wives, and the lions overpowered them and broke all of their bones in pieces before they came to the bottom of the den. A harsh punishment, very known in the pagan world because they didn't want the uprising of family members to come back uh, at them for the execution of their fathers, and so they did it this way. This was prohibited in the Jewish culture, but was a common occurrence in the pagan culture. But then King Darius wrote, and notice what he says, To all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. Now notice verse 26. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall endure to the end. He shall deliver and rescue, and he, sh- he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. In this decree, like the decree that he gave concerning Daniel, it could not be changed. He is now demanding that all the people of his empire respect and give honor and adoration and fear towards the God of Daniel. It wasn't that Daniel got the credit. It wasn't Daniel got the glory. All the glory went to God. And notice the theology that is packed here in verse 36. Things that we need to remember. Number one, that he is a living God. We do not serve a dead idol, but a living God. Do you know that in your heart? That we serve a living God. And that living God is sovereign over all the affairs of man. There is no higher authority than He. And because He is a living God, He knows what we go through. He has every hair on our head numbered, subtracting quickly. He has every tear we've ever cried in a bottle. God is a living God. He's aware of what we go through. 
His kingdom is never going to come to an end. It will never be destroyed. His, his dominion shall endure to the end. But notice verse 27, that he intercedes in the life of the people in whom follow him. That he rescues and he delivers and he does signs and wonders supernaturally working in and through the lives of those who follow him. These are things that we need to remember today more than ever, isn't it? That our God is a living God. He is active, He is moving, and His will will be perfectly fulfilled no matter what man tries to do to frustrate that. Next, He's working in your life. And though we may be going through difficult circumstances, we have the assurance that it's working for our good because we love Him and are called according to His purpose. That good is conforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. And if He leads us into a trial, He leads us through the trial and deliver us from the trial. That He may get the glory that is deserved to Him. Just as He has in the life of Daniel. There are two primary purposes for the book of Daniel. Number one, to remind us that God is over all the affairs of man. And number two, that while we are here on this earth, we must remain faithful to Him. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles, if you will, and I want to close with this. It's Psalm 18. I think these verses are incredibly important for our discussion today. Psalm 18, verses 17 through 24. And at the end, I'm going to be giving you a homework assignment to be completed before next week. If you decide not to do it, you shall not go to heaven. (laughs) Psalm 18, verses 17 through 24. Listen to these words as we read them. He delivered me from my strong enemy for those who hated me from those who hated me for they were too strong for me they confronted me in the day of my calamity but the lord was my support he also brought me out into a broad place he delivered me because he delighted in me the lord rewarded me according to my righteousness according to the cleansing cleanliness of my hands He has recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his judgments were before me, and I did not put away his statutes from me. I was also blameless before him, and I kept myself from my iniquity. Therefore the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanliness of my hands in His sight. God's faithfulness and our personal responsibility. We must remain faithful to the God, our God in and through this time. The world is pushing upon us to conform to the image that it desires us to be. Let us never, never bow the knee to this world, but let us keep our eyes upon our God. As one wrote in closing, he said this, Christians today find, face many temptations to compromise. And it often appears that the safest course is to go with the crowd. But this is the most dangerous course. 
The only real safe place is in the will of God. Daniel knew that it was wrong to worship the king and pray to him because Daniel knew God's word. He would rather die obeying God's word than live outside of God's will. Your homework for next week is to read Psalm 37. I want you to read Psalm 37 as a family together, as an individual before God. To read Psalm 37, and there will be a test next week. But Psalm 37 is incredibly encouraging for the current times in which we live. But to help you develop your own devotional life, I encourage you to begin with Psalm 37 this week.